0: Well, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 2. Read verses 11 to 22. But working through the Gospel of John, and last week we saw uh, Jesus turn water into wine, uh, symbolizing and pointing to that. The, the joy that comes from having him wash away our, our, our sin and, and give us this wedding day joy. And so we're moving from the joy of a wedding to the anger of Jesus. And so John does that on purpose to tell us more about who Jesus is and why he came. And so let's read John chapter 2, uh, verses 11 through 22. And this is God's word. Says this, the first of his signs, talking about the, the water into wine, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me so the jews said to him what sign do you show us for doing these things and jesus answered them destroy this temple and in three days i will raise it up the jews then said it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days but he was speaking about the temple of his body when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. And this is God's word, he has spoken to us today in love. Uh, let, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we, we just got a glimpse of the glory of Jesus, um, of seeing, seeing his zeal, seeing his passion, uh, seeing his desire. Have us dwell in our Father's house. And so I pray this morning that we would respond like the disciples, that we would see Jesus' passion, his zeal, and even his anger, and that would lead us to trust the Scriptures more and to trust Jesus more, more deeply. And so we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So if you were going to market Jesus, right, you, you're you the head of a marketing campaign, would you lead with Jesus's anger, right? It's one of those stories that, um, especially in, in today, we try and just kind of ashamed. It's like, where's Jesus meek and mild? Where's his compassion, right? And in the popular He Gets Us campaign, right, I don't know if you've seen the, the commercials and the videos, they were... Spent a lot of money to show, show some of these videos in, in the Super Bowl, right? They're trying to show Jesus' humanity, right? And so they, they, they show the way Jesus was an outcast, the way he welcomed refugees, the way he did, the way he loved, all these different things in modern contexts. But what they do not have is a video about Jesus' anger, right? They don't, they don't show him flipping over tables, quoting Malachi, saying, who can endure the day of is coming when the Messiah comes to his temple with purifying fire, right? We don't naturally read this story and say Jesus gets us, but what I love about this is the effect on the disciples, those who were there, Uh, they saw what Jesus did, they saw his purifying authority, they saw his eyes, they saw him with a whip in his hands And the effect of his words was deeper faith, uh, deeper trust in the scriptures, that they're telling the truth, as well as deeper trust in his word and why he came and who he is, right? Because of what his anger moved him to do. And so this morning we're going to see, right, John is showing us the greatness of Jesus by putting together intentionally the story about the wedding, right? Wedding day joy, abundant grace and pairs it side by side with Jesus with a fire in his eyes and a whip in his hands cleansing the temple, driving people out. Right? And it's not schizophrenic, Jesus, right? It's not two different people. This is, this is the full-orbed portrait of our king. Right? And so you look at the wedding, it's so interesting, right? Jesus works quietly. He's, he's serving in the background. He doesn't make himself the center of the attention. He lets the young bride and groom uh, take all the praise for his work. But here, Jesus puts himself front and center. He's loud. You cannot miss him. He's dumping out mounds of money. He's driving people out. Uh, Jesus is, co- rather than bringing joy, he's causing irritation and even offensiveness. At the wedding he's making sure shame is covered here he's willing to make himself an outsider to his own people and what's what's interesting right if you read the commentaries or you start reading all the gospels you'll 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 make a connection this story is told in all four gospels but only in john is it told in the beginning of jesus's ministry in matthew in mark in luke you'll find it at the end right before you know like the the week before jesus dies and so people who try and harmonize the accounts and show this is telling a true story and right john has this happening right at the beginning because he's he's wanting us to see that this is what jesus is about and so why are there multiple accounts of this event i mean For me personally, I don't think it's a surprise that Jesus would correct someone, and then a year or two later, they're still doing the same thing, right? It's very likely that Jesus cleansed the temple more than once. It's possible. Um, It's also possible, and this is the way the the Bible tells stories, is they're less interested in straight-line historical uh, truth-telling. They often will move stories around in order to make a theological point. And so to me, it, I'm, I'm comfortable with saying, John, this is what happened. Jesus did this at the beginning of his ministry and that the other gospel writers just said, hey, we, w- we want you to see uh, Jesus as showing off something different. They're making a different point about Jesus so they tell it at a different time. So it's just it's a little uh, insider information on how do we wrestle with these things? But what I love about John, right, he's, he's deliberate, in the stories he chooses so he intentionally put jesus's joy or the gift of joy ne- right next to the gift of his anger and his passion so that you would believe okay. so if you have questions about chronology and all that stuff you can come talk to me after we'll i'll slow down a little bit but what does what does john want us to see about jesus here and so let's ask these questions, I think it's gonna be helpful, right? What is Jesus against? What is Jesus for? And then how, how we, should we respond? And so what is Jesus against? This is a, a really simple way to think about anger. Right, that's what David Paulison, what is anger? It's, at its most basic, you just go, I'm against that. You can be against the wrong thing or you can be against it too much, but anger is an emotional express, expression of, of what we're against. And so when Jesus flips tables and he's, uh, throwing coins and he's, he's put together a whip and he's chasing people out of the temple, right? He's very clearly against something. All right. And, and just as a a side note, I don't know what kind of whip you have in your, in your mind, right? A whip of cords, right? This isn't a whip that Jesus was scourged with that, that beat him beyond recognition. Uh, it doesn't have shards of metal or glass in the end. It says it's a whip made of cords or, or reeds. It's the same kind of plant that's used to make baskets. right? Enough to move animals around. Enough to get people to say, yeah, I probably don't want to get too close. But most commentators make this comment. You know what was more intimidating than the whip? Was was Jesus. Right? The whip is for effect. I mean, the, there was something about the passion, the zeal, the look in his eyes, uh, the fact that he is this adamantly against the temple that, that was frightening enough to chase out, what, hundreds of people? We don't really know how many people are, are in there. All right, so a guy named Jerome, the fourth century uh, Bible scholar, he's the guy who gave us the Latin Bible for all you Latin readers out there. Um, but he, he says this, the very sight of Jesus would have made the whip unnecessary. A certain fiery and starry light shone from his eyes, and the majesty of, of God was gleaming in his face. In other words, what, what were people running away from? His, his authority. They ran away from the intensity of Jesus' passion for his Father to be known and worshipped and loved and honored. Right? You hear that, and this is what has them all worked up. Take these things away. Do not make my Father's house a house of trade. Right? So what exactly is happening here? Well, one, John says this is the time of Passover. So there are a million people or more that have come from all over the world to reenact the story of the Exodus, to bring a sacrifice to take refuge under the blood of an animal that is killed in their place, right? And because many of these Jews were coming from other countries, uh, they, they would right. If you anybody who's ever traveled, you know you need to exchange money, uh, exchange currency, and so some people it was easier to just buy an animal for the sacrifice in Jerusalem. So they would do that. If you brought your own animal, you ran the risk of transporting your, your poor fluffy lamb, you know, a thousand miles or however long it took to get there, only to have the official inspectors say, no, it's not blameless enough. And then you would still have to buy an animal for the sacrifice. And so, so they would have animals available for purchase. And if you're getting it inspected, you'd have to pay someone else. You got to pay them, right? You, there's no service for free in the temple, apparently. Uh, Every year at Passover, you'd have to come and pay your temple tax. And it was, they say it was about a half shekel. It's about two days wages. So just think about what you made the, the, for two days this week. And by our minimum wage standards, it's about $280 for an annual tax. All right. So there's a lot of money being exchanged. In fact, when they raided the temple in AD 70 and when these things, they found, like, millions of dollars in the temple treasury. I mean, this, this is a big business. And Jesus is upset because, one, right, it's not bad to, to, to provide a service, right? Anim, people, animals need souls. So they can do these sacrifices. It's part of worship. But the problem is they moved the business into the temple, into God's house where worship is supposed to happen, and specifically into the Gentile courts where the nations are supposed to be there to pray. To come and experience the joy of knowing the living God. And how can anyone pray when you're surrounded by the smells and sounds of a petting zoo, of an animal? And everyone talking, and you add all the bartering and all the noise. If you've ever been to a a central hub of a market or a bazaar where there's lots of noise and activity, that's what's happening inside the house. Imagine if that was happening here, right? Right? be very hard to get anything uh, out of the service and so functionally what they were doing is making sure that the nations those who are of non-jewish ethnicity they're stuck on the outside they're treated like second class and so rather than god making the nations joyful coming into god's house seeing god's grace experiencing god's love right they're just stuck going through the motions having their prayers drowned out by, by uh, birds and animals. And so what, functionally what this is, this is a form of, of prejudice. You know, we'll make room for our worship, but it's okay if we ruin theirs. Right? this is, we would call it racism today. Right? They're, they're guilty of misrepresenting God to their Gentile neighbors. They're taking the Lord's name in vain. Turns out that's one of the commandments. Don't do that. <laughs> right? So when Malachi says, this is the Lord who's just sick of Israel's worship, uh, to the point where he says, I'm going to rub, rub the dung, the, the poop of the, the animal sacrifices on the priest's faces because of the la- so they can feel the lack of respect they have for me. God says, these priests are the closer of doors. From the rising of the sun to setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name. It's Malachi 1.11. In other words, right? God's saying, I am committed to the nations. And so when Jesus walks into his father's house and the nations aren't able to worship, they're just misrepresenting God. They're not even given the basic treatment of love your neighbor as yourself. Treat the strangers the way you would be treat- want to be treated. So that's one reason why Jesus has worked up, right? To making it seem like God is just for the Jews and not for the world. Second, there's all kinds of economic oppression going on here, uh, using religion to get rich off the backs of the poor, which is also the very opposite of God's character, right? Because not only would you pay the temple tax, and that was part of, that was part of the system to support how uh, like, it, like the way tithes would work. The problem is, the money changers, when they would take the tax, would add an extra fee. This is what the commenta- commentators and the historians say. They would have, give up another half shekel just in exchange fees. So now you're out four days' worth of work. Right, and if you're going to buy an animal inside the, the temple, all right, it was often that the animals inside the temple were like 15 time, as much as 15 times more expensive there than outside. It's like shopping in an airport, right? It's like $20 for a bottle of water. All right. So when Jesus walks into the room, so to speak, and says, do not make my father's house a house of trade, he's, he's against the, the whole system that's just broken. He's against the injustice. Right. How why would If the poor are being made room for so they can buy a pigeon, but now the pigeon's being sold for 15 times more than it's worth, Right, that doesn't allow someone to, to worship if you're just angry at being ripped off. And so Jesus is against the injustice as well as the corruption of worship. And so rather than people experiencing his father's hospitality through sacrifice, rather than allowing worshipers to see the grace of the gospel as they watch an animal die in their place, Rather than saying, why does God choose in love to provide a sacrifice for me, they would come and say, I've just been ripped off. I'm just going through the motions. I've thrown some money at this. I hope God's not mad at me. Right? Rather than the nations enjoying God, they're, they're praying in a petting zoo. Rather than the poor being served, they're being taken advantage of. Jesus is angry. Right? When you read Deuteronomy, here's, here are the things that God is for. Right? He's the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God. He is not partial. He takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. And he helps those who are poor. He loves the sojourner, the, the, the foreigner. Gives them food and clothing. Love the sojourner, he says, therefore, because you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So you, you hear the, the, very, it's the very opposite picture of what's happening in the temple right now. And so Jesus sees this and says, I'm against that. And zeal consumes him and he gets a whip and he flips over tables and he chases everyone out. Rather than experiencing the gracious hospitality of a good God, people are just getting ripped off. It's being ruined by racist-like attitudes. Now, here's the, the shock as we keep going in the text here. The Jews see Jesus do this, especially the leaders, and say, what right do you have to do such a thing? What sign are you going to show us? Right? Prove us, prove to us that you have the, the authority to cleanse God's worship. Right? Why, how can you, you, right, Jesus of Nazareth, be the Lord of the temple? And so Jesus' response is, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up, and Of course, everyone in the room says, ooh, you're you're against the temple, right? Jesus is against worship. This is what he's killed, this is what he's accused of and put on the cross later. Um, Jesus was actually talking about his body. That's what the, the text says, right? I'm talking about myself. And so this is the shock of the text. Jesus is against the, the temple that is corrupt, that's not allowing people to, to know God as Father. But he's saying, the reason I'm against it is because I am the t- true temple. My body is the place you ought to go to meet with God. That's what temples were. They were this physical place where you would travel to go meet with God. Right. And so by saying that the temple is Jesus' body, you can start to fill in all the gaps that we talk about. Jesus is saying that this whole, the whole worship system in the temple is about me. I'm the bread of life. You know, there's showbread inside the temple. I'm, I'm the Lamb of God slain for sinners. I'm the true priest who lays down his life. For your sins, I'm I am the temple, and the way to know my Father is to know me. All right, and you could add, right? Jesus is saying, if He's the temple, He's the one that the nations ought to come to. He's the one who cares about the poor. He's the one who ensures that how wealthy you are doesn't limit who is blessed by God, right? In other words, the worship that's happening in the temple, in Jesus' day, that's all going to go away because Jesus is the temple that all that stuff is pointing to. When he walks out of the the grave on the third day, out of the tomb. this This is a very different conception of how you relate to God. Because think about what's happening in the temple. Let's distinguish religion from the gospel for a minute. Right, if you look at the religion happening in the temple, especially the corrupt version that Jesus is against, what impression of God would you have? Right. One, if you pay enough money to the right people, then you get, then you get access to God's blessings. Right. You've got to pay to get in. Literally, you're making God's house a house of trade. God, I'm bringing my money, my good works, and I'll trade, trade you for whatever you got for me, right? your protection, your blessings. I'll make me wealthy, happy, healthy, and wise. Right? That's not the intention of the temple system, to be clear. <laughs> but isn't this what human nature does? Right? We come to a good God and say, God, I'm, I've come to barter. Let's haggle. I've got a little money, I've got, got a little good works, you know, I'm not, I'm not great, but I'm not as bad as that guy over there. Thank God you have me on your team, All right? Here's my good works, I keep the Ten Commandments-ish. What do you got for me? I'm here. I mean, that's, that's the idea of religion. It turns a relationship with God as Father into a mechanical, consumer-like transaction where you treat God as as someone you pay in, in order to get out, right? But in the gospel, which is what Jesus is pointing to, right? In the gospel, you know what? You know what, what this portrait of Jesus shows you? is here is Jesus, the Lord of the temple, the, one, the maker of heaven and earth. Here is a human being who says, I want you to know God as Father, and I want you have all the rights of being a child of God. I want you to to come into God's house, and it's not going to be at your expense. It's going to be at mine. I mean, that's, that's what this points to. Destroy this temple. He's talking about his body. Destroy me so that you can have God as Father and come into his house. Because in God the Father's house, you do not pay for the privilege of knowing God and enjoying Him. God does. Right? It comes to us at His expense. I mean, do you see the difference? In religion, worship's a business transaction. It'll hurt your bank account, but it doesn't threaten your your sovereignty over yourself. When you run into the gospel, when you meet this Jesus, the Lord of the temple, when He shows up and says, this is my Father's house, and I'm going to show you how worship ought to be done, right? Destroy my body so that you can know my father, right? He's the one who's in charge. But it's him moving towards us so that we might come in, right? That's the gospel. And it comes with a holy confrontation, and that's where we're going to see what Jesus is for, because, right, if Jesus is the person that you come to to get to know the living God, and he shows up with this kind of authority. That means when you come to him, he's, he's going to manifest some authority and irritation. <laughs> he's, he's going to shake up your life, so to speak. Right? He comes to clean house. and Specifically of the church, which is now God's temple on the other side of the resurrection, which we'll talk about. Right? So Jesus is against false worship he's for uh his father and and so that's the second point here what is jesus zealous for that's that's the overarching takeaway from john and the disciples when they see jesus with the whip in his hands they remember psalm 69 that that norm read for us this morning zeal for your house will consume me see psalm 69 is is a prayer of lament so showing someone who's suffering unjustly, but it also shows someone who is suffering because they're so committed to, to God and his glory that they're willing to be treated like an outsider. And it says, right before um, zeal for your house will consume me, in verse 9, it says, I become like a stranger to my brother's. You know, in our language, you'd be, we'd be branded, right? You're the fundamentalist, right? You're the weirdo. You're the, you're the religious weirdo in the family for God's sake. That's part of what Psalm 69 is saying is, here's this person who is so overwhelmed with love and passion for God that it's made him weird to his community. And so the disciples said, when we see Jesus cleanse the temple... That's Psalm 69. He's that person, All right. See, for us to take Jesus seriously, I think we're being confronted here with, with the Lord who is zealous for you to come into God's house, to his Father's house. He is zealous, and it's a zeal that consumes him. And it's a passion that comes with authority. Are you willing to let this person tell you you are wrong? Tell you you are unjust or tell you that you are coming to God in the wrong way for the wrong reasons, right? C.S. Lewis has a great image here. He says, imagine yourself as a living house and God comes in to rebuild that house. At first you kind of understand what he's doing He's just getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. And you knew those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But eventually, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and doesn't seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house than the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage but instead he's building a palace because he intends to come and live there. (laughs) It's the idea of being a temple, right? God's house. Now, to to meet the, the real Jesus is to have him come to his house, to you, to his church, and because of his zeal, say, I'm bringing a refiner's fire. I'm going to change things. You can't stay the same and meet this Jesus. Right. Now, it's it's really hard to to read this story and not think of Malachi chapter three. In Malachi chapter three, it says this: that the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, he is coming. And then it says, behold, who can, who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? Because he is, he is like a refiner's fire. He's bringing a purifying fire and, and uh, a cleansing soap. In other words, he's going to show up and make all kinds of dramatic changes. Right? And it's there because of his zeal, his zeal for his father's house. Right? Right? Let me show you a little bit here in John so you can get a taste of Jesus' zeal for you to know God as Father, right? Jesus says on the night before he dies in John 17, glorify me, Father, in your own presence with the glory I had before the world existed. So here's Jesus saying, glorify me. I I want to know the glory that I have by virtue of being the eternal Son of God. And then he says, the glory that you have given me, he says to his disciples, I've given it to them. So connect the dots. Father, glorify me so that I can share my glory with my disciples. All right? And what is glory? And, and the other word I think that makes more sense to us modern people, right? At the end of that prayer, Jesus prays, O oh, righteous Father, I've made known to them your name so that the love with which you loved me may be in them. So on the night before Jesus died, what is on his heart and what is on his mind? What is he zealous for? That you would know the love of the Father, that you would know what it's like to be glorified by the Father, (laughs) that that you would come into God God the Father's house. See, when... Jesus, the Lord of the temple, comes into your life. You can't bribe him to stay in control. That's what this is showing. He comes with authority, but it comes with a zeal for your good as well. Right? See, on the other side of the resurrection, after his body is destroyed, and as he said, it is raised up on the third day, you know what the, temp- the church is called, right? We, we are now the temple of Jesus. Uh, We are called uh, His body, living living stones being put together, so to speak. And so because we are His temple, His church, and Jesus is the Lord of the church, and you get an idea that He he comes with a purifying fire to bring change, uh, we should expect Him to confront us this morning. Right, so here's, here's some hard questions to think about. If Jesus is this passionate for His Father's house and for others to know His Father, and if He's zealous for the poor and the nations to know God, right, what about you? What about us as a church? Right, how, is in, how intense is our desire for others to know God? the Father like this, to know that there is, God is a good Father and He loves us to the point of sending His Son, right? And if in the New Testament, Jesus' body is the temple, as we just talked about, and that language is describing the church, and that this is now the place, right? Not this room, but like us gathered together as the church we, as living stones, if we are the place where people experience God's hospitality, right? Do you have a passion then for the church? Do you want to see the church grow? Do you want to see this be a place where people come and meet the one who loved them and died for them? To bring others into our Father's house. I mean, this kind of zeal, according to Psalm 69, is, are you willing to be a stranger to your family and friends? Because you want them to know Jesus, to, to have the full rights of children of God, to come and know God as Father, All right? And one of the, the, the fascinating points here of this passage is the intensity that Jesus makes clear he's for the nations, he's for the poor, because he's against the economic injustice. And then he throws out the money changers, those who are distorting the gospel, and keeping people from knowing God. Right? So if you keep that, that metaphor that we are the church, we are the place that's supposed to show off God's hospitality, there are particular things that, that churches can do that will just give others a false impression of what Jesus is actually like. Right? So if if we have no zeal, if we have no passion, if we yawn and get bored with the gospel. If we look at Jesus and say, ah, he's just my friend, he, he, it's his job to forgive, <laughs> right? If we, if we treat regular, regular weekly worship as a business transaction, just something to tick off our list, why would we expect others to even consider reorienting their lives to, to interact with the person of Jesus? Right. We have another question for the church. Do we make room for outsiders? Um, I mean, that's, that's part of the court of the Gentiles and where, where those business transactions were happening. And they were keeping outsiders, the nations, from enjoying God. Now, when outsiders are coming into our church, right, for us, this is familiar. This is just, this is now our house, so to speak. If you've been coming to Hope Church for more than a year or two, like, event, and you, you just get sucked into the culture of the church, you just stop noticing what's different because it's just us right we wouldn't even see what would be distracting or offensive to outsiders and so you know it's just a hard question for us as a church how do we make hope church a place where the gospel is central and there aren't other distractions that would chase people off right if people aren't going to come and stay we'd much rather than be offended by jesus than by us <laughs> right you know, one of the main things that keeps people from church, in my experience, would be the money changers—the uh, those who who are part of the religious leadership and are the, the guilty of perpetrating some kind of injustice. Right? You know, one of the stories I hear most often about why, why don't you come to church? I've tried that; I've gotten burned. And sometimes it's real, sometimes it's painful. And part of what I think we can pull from this passage, right? It's helpful for us to see that Jesus is passionately against what keeps others from knowing his Father. That when there is injustice, when there is corruption of the gospel, when people are passing around offering plates and say, I want your money more than you, right? All that, the ugliness of the health and wealth gospel Jesus is against his sheep being abused, against being taken advantage of. And when the church does non Jesus like things, we need to show our neighbors that Jesus has a passion to cleanse that, to change that, to, to right what is wrong. Right? I mean, that's why, that's why as a session we meet, that's why our denomination just met, because we're constantly trying to right the wrongs that have been done. I mean, that's part one of the reasons, I'll put it that way. Um, because Jesus confronts injustice. Leslie, how should we respond? Uh, Jesus is against the injustice that we talked about. He's, he's cleaning house, and he's for his Father. And the effect of all this, uh, it's, here's how it works on his disciples. If you look at verse 22, it's right. When Jesus rose from the dead... They remembered his words. And the effect of this empty tomb was, I trust Jesus now, and I trust the scriptures. Right? There's a big and connecting those thoughts. So one of the questions you're going to ask is, how do I know what Jesus is telling me to do to change? Right? And the answer for every Christian is, we submit to his commands in scripture. And so if you want to ask how to how do you know you can trust a Jesus who who makes a whip? Right? It's how, how can you trust his authority, right? Well, here's how it worked for the disciples. Why did they trust the scriptures? Why did they why why did they transform into people who are willing to die for this king? Well, the resurrection happened. And because They saw that Jesus rose from the dead and they saw that his words were true and trustworthy they trusted him. And at the same time, that gave them deeper faith in the scriptures because then the scriptures are telling a true story. Right? It says, when he was raised from the dead, then they remembered and then they believed. And so you're getting this idea in seed form. We talked about this in the doctrine class I did a few weeks ago. To trust Jesus to submit to his authority is to trust the scriptures and to submit to what the Bible says. Right? If you're going to be refined by this king who is alive, seated at the right hand of God, who is the head of the church, you've got to look at the Bible and say, Jesus, command me, change me. And you trust that because of the, the connection, Right? You saw Jesus, his body, be destroyed in love for you. So in, in the specific sense, right, they trusted Psalm 69. Jesus cried out on the cross as his body was being destroyed, I thirst. And then he was given sour wine to drink, which is a quote from Psalm 69, verse 21. They gave me poison for my food and for my thirst. They gave me sour wine to drink. You're, you're called to trust the authority of Jesus who changes us with a whip of cords. Yeah, his words. Because he was willing to be scourged with metal. Right? And when you come to the scriptures, we're saying, Father, I will, i am... We're saying to Jesus and letting him drive out what keeps us from the Father. He Let him reorient our priorities. And, and, and what makes us more willing to do that is when you start to connect the dots it's so when you get to John 3 as we will um, in a couple weeks here when you get to John 3 you find out it was Jesus's it was God the Father's plan to send the son so that you would know him as father in other words he loved you that much he was willing to sacrifice and change and pay the price so that you can you can come in and so god willing that the effect will be looking at jesus's words remembering these these scriptures and say this is what they did they, they remembered psalm 69 and said wow god's word is true and trustworthy i trust the one who died for me and rose again so that i can be a son of god and that's how they ruled the church then after that, right? They they were constantly quoting scripture. And so the way the authority of Jesus comes to us as hope church, how it cleans our house so to speak. If he's going to flip tables, it's going to be with his eyes like a flame of fire as Revelation says, with a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth and that two-edged sword is his word. We get changed by the scriptures. And what will be the effect? Right? By the power of the Spirit, God willing, our zeal will be zealous for what Jesus is zealous for. Right? We'll, we'll want others to come, be brought into our Father's house to know the Father who planned all this from before the beginning of the world. So go and learn what it means, what this means. Jesus let his body be destroyed. That's how zealous he is for you. Let's pray. Oh, Father and our God, we, uh, we thank you for this portrait of Jesus who confronts us, who changes us, and, and frankly can intimidate us. Um, and so I pray that... Um, Pray for a deeper faith in the gospel, Lord, that that Hope Church would be a place that willingly sees Jesus, sees the empty tomb, sees him sitting at your right hand, interceding for us as our forever high priest, uh, who sees that he is the head of the church, the image of the invisible God, uh, by whom and through whom is holding all things together, and see that he is the one speaking to us when we hear the scriptures. So Lord, we pray like David, if there be any um, secret thing in us that needs to be changed, Lord, bring it to our attention so that we may not be the reason that people misunderstand the gospel. So may we continue to be a people that, that, that embody the grace and mercy uh, and the work of Jesus done on our behalf. May we be faithful witnesses, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing the power of the cross.